This is Dr. Megan Galaski, and you're listening to Wild Healers, a podcast from Sage Empowered and Passionate Women Bridging the Gap in a Polarized World of Healing, Episode 13, Wellness Culture with Triluna. The wall has been built between Western medicine and alternative healing, and it's time to demolish it. If you're ready to see what could happen when we dare to explore uncharted territories of healing, then join your hosts, holistic physician Dr. Megan Galaski and certified professional midwife Sarah Rosser. You're listening to Wild Healers. Welcome everyone and thank you for listening to Wild Healers. I'm Sarah Rosser. And I'm Dr. Megan Galaski. <laughs> Today we have a like powerhouse duo guest, um, and I can't wait to introduce you to these guys. Um, Ashley Brooke James is a 300-hour certified yoga instructor and COO of Triluna Wellness, which we're going to hear a lot more about. It's a company dedicated to creating better corporate wellness programs and engaging communities to embrace a more inclusive version of wellness. After a long and stressful career as one of the Southeast's top IT recruiters, Ashley left the corporate world behind and enrolled in her second yoga teacher training, driven by a desire to change the face of healthcare and make yoga more a more inclusive place. She combined forces with her business partner, Elizabeth Moore, who is a certified health coach, home chef, 200-hour certified yoga teacher, in addition to being a marketing and branding expert. She started her first company, More Nutritious, in 2014 with her sister while working as a VP of marketing at an e-commerce-based home decor company in Nashville. Together, they worked as health coaches and lifestyle bloggers, sharing their journey to a deeper understanding of holistic health through in-person coaching and social media. In 2015, they were the keynote speakers at Belmont's Humanities Symposium. In 2017, while working as a marketing manager at a creative agency, Red Pepper, Elizabeth completed her yoga teacher training and met her business partner, Ashley Brooke James. She, developed, she has developed a deep passion for accessible wellness, preserving and protecting our planet, representation and personal growth. Elizabeth and Ashley, we're so happy to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us in this space. So we would love to hear more about your collaboration of Triluna Wellness. You can give us an elevator pitch or talk about it the whole podcast. We're down. All right. Well, we'll first talk about what Triluna is. And we are an experiential wellness company that specializes in three core services, which is movement such as yoga, health coaching, and cooking classes, which we take those three things and combine them into comprehensive wellness curriculum, events, and retreats. So we have like really cool interactive things from lunch and learns, from community team builders, to our supper clubs and our panels. And we, we started this company because number one, um, it was important for us to make wellness fun. Um, we were both, we had both came out of, you know, that life of where, you know, fitness was number one. And I mean, it became more damaging than it became harming. And so we wanted to create a space 
where people showed up however they were and really enjoyed being in wellness. So Elizabeth and I met, as you said in our bio, in our yoga teacher training in 2017. And we immediately connected because both of us come from like really high intense business backgrounds. I had already left my corporate job. It was basically my husband told me outwork the work and I did and I left. And I met Liz when she was in that that phase and in teacher training, she was really on edge. And one day she came in and we had a moment, we meditated and, and I just told her like what he told me. And then I accidentally quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talk talk about this a lot. This is like kind of my origin story. Um, But I was working at an agency that I loved. I loved the people and I loved um, the space, but I just kind of was done being in marketing. I'd been in marketing for a decade at that point. And I just had this feeling that if I was going to do marketing, I was going to do it for myself. Um, And I was really unhappy in the role. And I just, I could not get my feet under me. And I was doing yoga teacher training and I was coaching on the side. And then I met Ashley. And so we were just in this really intense space. And I went to Rome in January of that year. And I went to Pompeii with my mom and my sister and I just had this realization, like, this could all end in a day. In a, in a single instance, everything could change. And I will have never have done this thing. And I had a, just like a one-on-one touch point with my boss when I got back. And she was like, what do you love about your job? What do you not love? What do you want to change? And I was like, crap, I don't like anything about this job. And she was like, whoa, okay, moves to me. Are you quitting? And I was like, I guess so. She was like, okay, well, do you want to think about it and get, get back to me? Um, so I thought about it. And a week later I let her know. And by March I was completely out. And a couple of months later, I started a program at the Nashville entrepreneurship center, which is an incubation center for um, entrepreneurs in the Nashville area. And I asked Ashley to be my wife my business partner uh, she said what are you calling me for you should do this and so she said yes and now we're married and we have a two-year-old child that is our business we're not married but and what did you name your two-year-old child try luna (laughs) we wanted her to be a little witchy and also appeal to our corporate client Mm -hmm. we wanted to have some magic and some some consistency with our corporate world. So we made one up cool. and it's Triluna, which is like three moons, always in all cats, Triluna. Awesome. You guys are just speaking right to my heart. Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel Meg just lighting up over there. <laughs> By the time this comes out, it will be widely known that I am quitting my job in, uh, private practice in, uh, uh, and that's been in the works for nine months. Uh, had to give that much notice and my finish lines coming up and entering into the entrepreneurial space as well. And I'm like super excited to hear from you guys and you're inspiring to me and I hope it's inspiring to other women or, or people, all people who feel stuck or feel like they have to do something 
a certain way because the world is telling them they have to do it and they'd be crazy if they left, you know? You have to listen to yourself. I mean, I mean, yeah, I just quit, but it was a lot that came behind that. I mean, we had really good jobs, right? Like we were comfortable, we were making money and it was really, really hard. But when you know that you're showing up every day and you're not giving yourself anymore, you're just showing up. I, I, we both knew in that moment, it's just time to leave. And, and like Liz said, I knew that if I didn't try this, it would be so much regret. And we haven't looked back. There's never been a plan B. There's always been a plan A. And I remember when we started this, my best friend told me that she was like, you don't need a plan B because this is going to work. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You kind of have to have a little bit of that, like entrepreneurial, uh, veil over your eyes in the beginning. You kind of just have to believe that you will make it work and that that's what will propel you forward. We get I think the question we probably get asked the most is like, when did you know you were ready? And I accidentally quit my job. Ashley quit way before she meant to. So I I think at some point it's harder to stay than it is to go. And that's when you know you gotta get out. Yeah. Sometimes wow. your body tells you before your brain gets on board. Absolutely. Yep. My body did that. My body told me. It, it spoke directly to me yep. for like three months in the form of exactly. a migraine. Yep. So. Yeah. Wow. Something that I feel like I noticed about you guys first and your your company is that it was not uh, – there. it was – it was a bit countercultural for the wellness industry in that I feel like I'm involved enough in the wellness industry that I can criticize it perpetually. And if I'm being honest, like when I hear the word wellness, sometimes what comes to mind is a very thin, uh, cisgendered white woman um, contorting her body on the beach at her vacation home that she paid for with her MLM, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> And that's not you guys, right? Like that's not what I'm gathering. We were born out of a resistance to that. I mean, if if that is who you are and that's your thing, like that's great. But that is representative of such a very, very small slice of the population. It's fake. It's yeah, it's probably fake. I mean, I so I found wellness. It was born out of a pretty aggressive eating disorder that I have had and have. Um, throughout my life and an attempt to heal my body by getting to know it better and understand food and understand cooking. And when I first got into the wellness industry, I like to call it the wellness industrial complex, I couldn't find a space for myself. Everyone was super thin and doing these crazy handstands and didn't have any back problems. And, you know, I just didn't feel like I fit in at all. I felt like, like such an outcast. I realize now that I actually have a lot of privilege in that space and I'm able to pass for, you know, all of those things, um, which is something I'm working through right now. But I know, I knew that I needed to speak to other women like me, other women who were trying to get started and didn't know where that entry point was. And Ashley on the same side was the only black woman in the studio 99% of the time. And so together we decided that the most important thing for our business was to work and to be an antithesis to the idea that wellness and fitness were the same thing and that you had to be tall, thin, cis, and white in order to fit into it. 
And we have been breaking down that barrier ever since. Um, sometimes with great difficulty and sometimes not so much, but. Ashley, how did it feel when, I mean, tell us about your experience coming up. Obviously I'm like super impressed by your 300 hour yoga. <laughs> Golly Moses. So tell us like, I mean, how did you even get into that? And then how did you come about the realization of like, oh my goodness, I'm literally the only black person in this space. What is happening? Well, I started yoga. Whew, it's been almost, oh man, it's been almost 10 years. It all started. A white girl in my office was like, you should come to hot yoga with me. And I, I did. And it was okay the first time. The second time I was like, I'm going to take some of my girlfriends. And I went with all my friends and we went, went and it was great. Like for me, I was in this space and it took me out of the world. And I was like present for the first time. Obviously out of all my friends, I was the only one that went back because they were like a hot room doing these stretches. I don't know about this, Ashley. So I went back. And it wasn't new to me being the only black person in the room. I grew up in Powell, Tennessee. I graduated with six black people. So being the only wasn't an issue. But what was the issue was I had found this exercise that was um, not only just an exercise, but it was a place for me to come and really get to know myself. I'm very spiritual. So it brought me closer to God. And I just knew that this was a type of healing that the black and brown community needed. And every time I showed up, I was the only. So that was why it bothered me because it was a healing that I knew that needed to be implemented in these communities. So obviously the reason why people aren't showing up is because they don't see themselves, right? So it was my mission to get certified to be a part of representation. When I started, my mission was to bring yoga in the black communities. And I did just that. I taught in only churches and only black community centers and things like that. When I was working with Small World, I told them, put me where the black children are, put me where the black people are because I want them to see reflections of themselves. And through that, you know, I meet a lot of white women who are not the skinny white woman who just fell in love with the space that I was creating for them. So I wanted to create not only a space for the black and brown community, but for all body types. And when I met Liz, that was her mission. So they, you know, they matched. And so it is very important. And you'll hear me say this on every podcast. My favorite word is being intentional about putting, you know, diversity in place from the beginning. We have conversations around race. We have conversations with our team about race. We have Zoom calls where we tell the team to look at the screen and what are we missing? And let's Let's fill those gaps. Let's recruit those type of people in because if we're going out and we're talking about representation, we have to have that. So that's kind of how I felt in it. And then Liz and I were on a mission to like let people know that this is what we stand for. And we weren't afraid to call out the yoga studios that we felt that weren't doing the same. And we we did and we're doing just that. And it wasn't just a call out. It was to call out to make a welcome community, the community that everybody is preaching about that they have. We want it to be universal, not just within Triluna. I hear just when you're talking, I just keep thinking of the word inclusivity, just that we're not 
different. <laughs> We're not different. These lines that we've drawn in the sand between, you know, big, little, tall, short, thick, thin, skin color, belief system, political party, all these things that I feel like right now, not only in our country, but worldwide, are just being hammered into us. I know that we're still here in these spaces saying that's a lie. All of that is bullshit. It's all a lie. You've just been fed it your whole life. And so you believe it. And I love your all's mission statement. And and just exactly that's so beautiful to hear what you're saying about looking at not only your friend group and your Zoom call, but looking at who you're reaching out to on purpose to include them and bring them into the fold of the human race. Not just like, oh, here's my token friend. Like, here I am. Look how good I am. But but really reaching all people, income levels, everything, and saying this wellness, health, physical and mental is for you. And you're, you are good and you are deserving of feeling good in your body. Yeah. I think for a long time, white supremacy culture has told us what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to feel, the mold we're supposed to fit into. And the, the thing that I, I think makes Ashley and I stand out and what really creates the community that we have is the level of vulnerability that we're willing to go into with our community. I mean, just last night, uh, my since COVID, I have had some been experiencing some weight gain, and I have had a resurgence of my body image issues that I have not had since college. It's as bad as it was at the height of my eating disorder right now. Um, and I'm, you know, I went last night. I had like a full on breakdown about it, and I went on Instagram and I told everybody what I was dealing with and why I was dealing with it and what that felt like in my body, and it was. Um, vulnerability is a practice for me. I'm an Enneagram three. I'm like very hard outer shell. Don't really like to share emotion other than anger. But I knew that that was something that my community was looking for. And I knew that it was something that a lot of people were, were struggling with right now. And I posted it last night and, you know, went to bed and woke up this morning and had like almost 40 or 50 messages of people being like, I'm struggling with this too. I didn't know other people were struggling with it. Thank you for saying that. Like there's so much power in helping other people understand that they're not experiencing something alone. Like so many people were like, I didn't know anybody else was, was struggling with this. And that to me is why Trilena exists to, to crack open the idea of who and what we should be and allow ourselves to be actually who and where we are. Wow. Yeah. I I'm in the Enneagram eight. And so that type of vulnerability is visceral to me. <laughs> I, I feel yeah. that. I do. I walk over 23 and an eight, so I understand. <laughs> we we share a lot of qualities. Meg and I have done yeah. entire episodes on the Enneagram and healthcare. Like we're super into it. <laughs> totally. What, yeah, what are you, sitting. Ashley? Okay. Yes, let's go out of partying. When COVID's over, yes. we're going out. Please do that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do something. I'm like ready to do something fun. I told my best friend, I was like, can we just dance in the living room or something? Like I got it. I'm ready to bust out. (laughs) 
Okay. So, I mean, obviously as entrepreneurs starting a business, you expect to face some um, opposition and some, even some oppression along the way, but there are certain types of oppression that just absolutely should not exist in the world. But you guys have, have experienced that really, really hardcore recently. Will you share with us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, we are, we developed our separate clubs that I mentioned at the beginning, uh, at the beginning of this year, because a part of your wellness is a part of your conversations that you're having and making sure that you're having the right conversations. And so we launched our separate clubs to create an environment where people could gather and eat and drink and talk over difficult conversations. So Triluna, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, we we have been talking about this. It wasn't anything new for us. And so when the world, you know, got woke, um, we decided we saw a lot of performative behavior that was going on. I mean, black people were the stuff for like two weeks, right? Like everybody's tagging us. Everybody wants me to be on, you know, and talk to them about my story and all these things. And honestly, it was making Liz a little bit more angry than me. I was, I was, I was used to it, right? Whenever things like this happen, you know, black people become the height and then we go down. So I'm used to this roller coaster of, I'm going to say the shining the light. And Liz was like, no, we're going to, create a supper club where I'm about to call some folks out. And I'm like, well, Liz, look, it's still got to be fun. And then, but she was like, no, like I, this can't be fun because this is serious. And honestly, I kind of gave her the, like, I let her like lead with this and um, I'm going to let her talk about it. Um, the theme of the thing and, and I'll come back to my part, but this will be a good part for her to yeah, so it was called uh, Allyship in Action, Going Beyond Performative Behavior to Create Actionable Change. And it was an interactive walking supper club that started at the base level of this um, hotel. And there was an icebreaker where you talked about your experiences with racism and your you know level of comfortability talking about it. And then you go up the elevator and you go all the way to the top. And then there's a, a word association game where you learn about all of the, the phrases commonly associated with white supremacy culture, like uh, performative allyship in general, um, spiritual bypassing, which is a really big one in the wellness community that I can talk about for a really long time. Uh, what all those phrases are so that there was an infrastructure for people to understand how racism operated in their daily life. And then they moved on to a part where they could eat some food and drink. And then there was this whole tour and it walked around the top level. And then it went down to the next level. And there was a skit where you had to act out performative allyship and then go deeper. And we um, were going to highlight some BIPOC authors, artists, writers, just, you know, all kinds of different things. And then they would leave. And there was a letter writing campaign to our government for some things so they could take action we were really excited about it. The chef was excited about it. We had an incredible chef, Cleveland of the Lost Spoon, um, who had worked really hard and we had worked really hard, really, really hard. Like had literally, there are five groups of five people. So everyone was safe, timed within like a minute of each other going through all of these stations. And we did our final walkthrough with our team. We had five staff 
that we're going to run this with us. And we walked through it and we, it was great. We were ready to go. It was a week out. And then we got a call the next day after our final walkthrough and someone had found the outline that we had left behind and felt like we hadn't been transparent with them about the content we had. We definitely had, Um, but decided that seeing it up close they were uncomfortable with the content and said, you can change a content or you can get out. We are not going to be your partner anymore. And we lost our supper club. We'd already sold uh, about $1,500 worth of tickets. So we're currently in the process of rescheduling that, but it was a truly harrowing experience for our entire team. It was, I mean, it was rough. It's still rough. We're, we're still rescheduling it. Hopefully by the time this comes out, it will be rescheduled and you'll be able to find it on our website. But, it's been a rough couple months. Yeah, it was, I'm going to say that it was, it was really hard for, I was not surprised. Okay. I was not shocked at all. What I was shocked by is that the person that I was working with, instead of calling me and mind you, this person had worked with me the whole time. I mean, I was their direct contact. But when they felt uncomfortable with the content, they went around me to tell somebody else that they didn't want us there or our content there. But yet she didn't feel any certain way about me. Right. Like, so that's what I have a problem with. Like, you didn't have enough courage to come to me to my face and tell me the problem that you had. And I I talked to this person. I mean, I've been talking to this person for like a month and a half texting, talking, email. I mean, I have a, and that was really hard. And another thing that was really hard is that uh, my niece was our intern this summer and we have another, you know, young black woman uh, that works really closely with Liz and I, and that was their first time interacting, you know, having that like front on, you know, racism right in their face. And it was hard for me because I needed to show them how to react. And so did Liz. And boy, did Liz show them how to react. And it was, it was more of who, to me, who you're associating with yourself with. Are your white friends, are the people that you're calling your friends willing to go to war with you? You know, Liz and I, let's back it up to February. We had to have harder conversations that we've ever had in our life about where we are in this world and about our friendship. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It was my first time telling one of my white friends that I don't think that you're doing enough. I don't think you hear me. I don't think you see me. I don't think you see me or my friends or your other black friends. And that was hard to say, you know, for so many years I've, I've bit my tongue and not said anything and just let things just go. But it was important because the future of Triluna we needed to make sure we were on the same page and that we were preaching what we said that we were preaching, both Liz and I. And have you guys, so have you guys evolved and continued talking? I mean, obviously you've continued with each other through that hard time in your relationship. Have you had any more contact with the people who put you through this ordeal? Did they offer you any explanation? Have, 
have they acted open to learning or was it a complete shutdown and, and we're learning this lesson the hard way? Well, we wrote a letter to, let's call her Karen. And um, we published that letter. It's on our website. You can find it on our blog. It's called Dear Karen. And we did not get a response. Um, someone reached out on her behalf extolling her virtues as a good person and mom and all that kind of stuff. Uh, to which we replied, you can be good and live with racism in your body. And she did a lot of harm and she needs to live with that. And she retreated to her tower of whiteness and didn't give a shit and probably will never learn anything a day in her life. Um, that's her decision. We can't, we can't do anything about that except speak. And, um, you know, the person that reached out on her behalf was open to reading some literature around anti-racism. So maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. But we, we did everything that we could do to make that a teachable moment and not be as aggressive and angry with them as we wanted to be. We still were respectful. Y'all need to read the letter. I, I read it. I'm so and excited I have to read this letter. To tell, to tell our listeners exactly where they can go to read it. Yeah. So if you go to trilunawellness.com, that's Triluna like three moons, T-R-I-L-U-N-A wellness.com. And then go to about us and click blog. It's right there. Front and center. Well, I appreciate you all giving us the opportunity to, to watch and to, to listen as that went down. I, you know, I think I can't imagine how, any anyone else would have responded in that scenario, but you guys gave everyone the opportunity to learn instead of just that one person who wasn't interested in learning. And it gave our team to an opportunity to learn, right? This is our first time, not on an individual basis that someone has experienced this, but this was like the team. Yeah. And we were able to, you know, identify some things internally and work on that to make us stronger. So in a way, it makes for a better story <laughs> during all of this, even though it was hard, hard and horrible, but it also helped us to identify things within our ourselves that we could work on as an organization. So um, it was a learning lesson in all forms. Mm. So what are the plans going forward to kind of combat that thing happening again in the future? We will probably always be dealing with this. I mean, the option we were given was change your content or get out. And the obvious answer for us was get out. We are going to be talking about diversity, inclusion, and belonging in our company until the day we die. So we don't expect that this will stop happening. Our hope is that we get more opportunities and our platform is increased so that we can reach more people. But we have our armor on and we are intelligent, educated women and men, and we are going to continue to make impact where we can and hope for the best. Yeah. Well, and you're the, now you're this much more equipped, I guess. Um, so, so speaking to folks who are maybe consumers of uh, the wellness industry who are partaking in different facets of this, yoga or, you know, any, any form of alternative healthcare probably fits into that, that category. 
Um, how, especially as white women, can we be, um, can we be like shutting down these stereotypes that we've been seeing and, um, and going into rooms and dismantling what we see if it's not, if it's not inclusive? Yeah. The first I think is to do the work. Like you have to actually do the work. There's a lot of trainings that are being offered by the IPOC about anti-racism work. You should pay for their work. The second is that as a wellness community, we have got to understand what spiritual bypassing is and how to stop doing it. Um, it's the idea essentially that it's the love and light movement. It's the whole love and light, no bad days, no excuses kind of mentality that steps over the idea that not everyone has the same level of access. Not everyone has the same level of understanding. Not everyone wants your version of wellness. Your version of wellness is deeply entrenched in white supremacy culture. You have to understand that foundation before you can start to dismantle it. Like we so often hear people talking about no bad days and being positive and staying positive. And that is incredibly harmful. If you tell a black woman that has been dealing with racism to just be positive, like screw you, frankly, like are you kidding me. So we have to, we have to understand that wellness when wellness becomes one size fits all, it actually becomes harmful and it does more harm than it does good. And we will never ever start to dismantle that until we understand it. Mm. Yes. I love that. No, I, I really appreciate that. I hope, I hope that we all play it back four times and listen to it. Like that's, that's really good, significant advice. Um, if I feel like if, you know, Back when everyone was posting a black square on their Instagram, maybe you went and followed a lot of folks on on social media who were people of color or different sized people, or you just decided you were going to diversify your social media content that you were consuming. Um, maybe your social media has gone back to being whitewashed because, and that's not a that's not a um, it's not a coincidence. That is a reflection of the media that you choose to consume. If you are liking people's profiles, if you're pausing on their pictures, if you're sharing their content, if you're interacting with it, Instagram's going to keep feeding you that. Um, Facebook's going to keep feeding you that. So if it's gone back to being whitewashed, like th that's a great clue that you've got a lot of work to do still. Um, go back and interact with those accounts again because... And, and a lot of our listeners are, are healthcare workers. And so I think a lot of times we're speaking mostly to them. But like, if you are consuming and looking at people who look like something that you're comfortable with, when you have a patient that walks in that looks differently, you're going to accidentally assume their unhealth just because they're twice the size of the person that you're used to looking at pregnant um, or because they don't, they don't look like you for whatever reason. Um, yeah, all, all good work we have to do. Do you mind sharing some of these books that I know that you've mentioned um, lately that are good, good anti-racism work that we can be doing? Yeah, I think the best one to start with is Me and White Supremacy. Uh, how to be anti-racist is good. All the Tears We Cannot Shed is good. The Podcast 1619, the Podcast Code Switch, the Podcast Through Line, some episodes of that. That's a lot. You just start there. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's great, though. 
I, and I had never heard of Code Switch. Code Switch is good. Really good. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. You like that. Yeah, I, and we've talked a lot about that flash in the pan, two-week thing with the black squares. And, yeah, this is going to be a long-term thing. If you're going to say that you woke up whatever year, maybe you felt like you were awake before. Maybe you felt like you were and then, I mean, for me, I really felt like I was. And then I felt like, oh my gosh, no, like I need to go way deeper here. I need to go way more you know, deeper into my own self, my own um, prejudices and biases that I didn't even think that I had. And I need to continue to c- confront those in myself over and over and over so that, like Sarah said, when confronted with different kind of people that I'm taking care of or different kind of people that I'm just interacting with in the world. To me, everyone feels like a human being, like a a worthy person. And, um, and we're, we're so glad to continue learning and, and, and continue following along with your all's journey, it's super inspiring to me. So I know it was very hard to go through that. I can't imagine what you guys went through with that situation, but I hope it does give you encouragement that as, as an outsider listening into that story, I just have the utmost respect for you all as a team and as women, um, entrepreneurs and, and the way that you're pushing forward. And I think you guys are going to draw to you. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. People are going to come to you who are in your camp and they're on your side. And, and this is the way that long-term change happens. And I I look up to you guys a a lot as examples of, of long-term change. Thank you. And that's how you, that's how you develop long-term changes by the people who are bought in. And I think that's how we, like, we set out to build this company. We didn't want it to be a trend. We want it to be something that was everlasting and ever, ever impactful to the people in our community. Well, I think that what you guys are offering, especially like on the corporate level, will be extremely helpful for our listeners as far as like, like if we're tampering in individual wellness, like, like you guys are talking about community wellness, corporate wellness, like we've, we've got to as organizations, as practices, as healthcare providers come together and, and check in on each other at this level, um, hold each other accountable at this level. Um, not constantly rely on our black friends to do that for us. Um, and, uh, I, I think what you're offering is, is so beautiful and I'm excited to find ways to get involved with what, with what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, do you all have any practical um, tips for people? Well, firstly, I would like to hear a little blurb on the difference between diversity and inclusivity and, you know, these different things that we kind of lump together and, you know, even, I mean, we've, we've talked about racial inequalities and barriers a lot. Um, Another one that I'm 
very passionate about is ability um, access as a, um, my father has a disability. And so um, do you guys have any tips for whether it's on a corporate level or other women who are wanting to, to come into this space, either as a practitioner or as a student? Um, we've talked about all these resources that you can do. Do you all have any other practical advice on to how to diversify your team, how to diversify your, you know, what do we do if we're like, I don't know anybody. It's too hard. I don't know anybody that's different. Where can I even find them? I mean, those are the kinds of things we hear, right? Yeah. Your hiring practices are a huge part of it. But Ashley and I always say it has to come from the top down. If leadership is not bought in, then you'll have diversity, but you'll never have inclusion or belonging. That's with race. That's with having women at the table. That's all of it. And you have to not be afraid as the leaders to have the same conversations. The same conversations Liz and I, we take that back to the team. It's a... It's authentic. It's real. They see that, like, when Liz and I had our hard talk, we both made the decision, we need to have a talk like that with the team. And we need to not only have it one time. Like, sometimes I'll I'll just pop on everybody's calendar. Hey, guys, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what's going on in the world. You know, let's bring all our thoughts to the table. And we've created this space where our, our contractors can talk freely about what's going on in their lives and the things that they're afraid of or afraid to say or things like that. But they have to be in a space if they work in our community to be able to talk to anyone or be able to listen to anyone that's coming to them. So it is very important. Like Liz said, it starts with leadership. Leadership has to have the conversation and they have to create a space where people can authentically say what's on their mind without judgment around this. And it's okay to feel messed up. The first one that we ever had, we had a lot of people come back to us and say, well, I didn't mean to say that, or maybe that didn't come out right. And it was like, it's okay, because that was on your heart. And we can all work together to make it better and make you feel better. And see, every meeting gets easier. Every meeting, we're not waiting on people to talk. They're ready. They're like, I've dealt with this. This is what I'm dealing with. But if you don't have that in place, and then your leadership has to look different. Like Liz and I are a black and a white woman. We say it all the time. I mean, I don't think it was intentional. It's just the universe brought us together and was like, I need y'all to build this company where people see it. And if you don't see more people of color in leadership, the people that are working for you get discouraged very, very quickly and they don't feel comfortable and they look to leave. That was another reason why I left corporate America, because when you get to the top, it gets a little lonely and nobody wants to hear you. So just making sure that you're intentional from the top. Yeah. And that your white leadership is willing to be humbled. I mean, we had to take it back to the team that Ashley had to confront me about my lack of work. That was not fun for me, obviously but it wasn't about me in order for us to take it back to the team and be authentic and be genuine. We had to expose the cracks in the soft underbelly of our relationship and of our company. And that is 
not easy, but it is a critical component of actually experiencing any kind of real growth. When I'd imagine like if you guys are routinely sitting down and having these hard conversations and bringing this topic up enough time that everyone's expecting to have this conversation, I imagine confrontation like that where you're calling somebody out becomes a little easier, a little more expected even. Oh, y'all, Liz has changed so much. I mean, I don't know if white people can be militant, but she's real close. <laughs> but she's like, she did. And it took one conversation. It took one time for her to, like, she said it wasn't about her, but it was about the future of this company. And so it only took one time and she's gone, gone, gone. And I'm not saying everybody has to be like Liz. I tell people all the time, you find your place in this. As a Black woman, I haven't always been so open to talk about race stories or my blackness and what it, it feels good for the first time I can say it feels great to just be a black woman in business, you know, without somebody looking at me like, who does she think she is, you know? And I feel free to say what's on my mind now. I feel free to practice and, you know, the things that I want to practice without feeling like I'm going to be judged by that. And I feel free to tell my white leaderships that I feel a certain way when something goes on and not have to mask my feelings around that. So but it's also scary. You know, a lot of our clients are white. A lot of our clients are white men running businesses. So it's still that, still that little bit that you have to work through and be able to deal with. So so I'm hearing like we should expect confrontation. We should be brave. We should not expect perfection. <laughs> and we and that's where growth comes in. And well, I mean, I, I'm I'm just loving this conversation. I'm loving hearing you guys talk about this. I think it's wonderful. I mean, I'm all for the spaces where women are like, and we're telling white men who own large companies how to operate their company. I'm like, yeah, let's all do it. I made this post, I think it was last month, but I'd watched this documentary on Netflix called She Did That, and it talks about black women businesses, and it gives all these data and facts and, you know, it, all these things. And I wrote down all the ones that were meaningful to me and I put it in a post and I put it on LinkedIn and all day long, you know, everybody was liking it. I didn't even know this, you know, da, da, da. Then at the end of the day, I get this one post from this one white man. He was like, you had me until you started talking about the loan percentage a black woman gets to, towards a, a, a white man. And it was just like, I'm not even going to go there with you because like the fact that I listed all these things and that was the one thing that you wanted to point out and have a conversation around, but it's still so much work to be done. It's still, still so much there work is. to be done. And we can also ask our partners to do this. My husband, I'm going to give him a shout out because he's our audio engineer for the podcast, but he works in a very 
um, traditional, I'll say, uh, industry space quite often. And through our conversations over the past, you know, four or five months, he has felt more brave to go into those spaces, men to other men, because we need that. And I mean, he has had people tell him, well, you know, that's only a thing if you make it a thing. Um, he's had people tell him that the wage gap between women, male and female physicians is not real. People who don't know anything about this kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, people are going to give that pushback. But I want to say, like, don't let it get you down. Don't let it defeat you. Don't exactly what you did. Look at all those positive comments. Look at all that growth that came. And if the one person's not ready to hear it yet, they're not going to hear it yet. Don't let it make you be like that hurt me or that hurt my feelings. And I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I, I don't because do you know how many people told Michael Jordan that he wasn't going to be who he was going to be? Do you know how many people told Oprah she was fat and ugly and she was never going to be who she was going to be? You know, I mean, if you read Michelle Obama's book, like they told her she would never go to Princeton. She wasn't smart enough. Like, I, I let things like that motivate me. That's my motivation. Liz knows that things like that just fires me up to just want to take over even more. And I think about all the things that I've been able to accomplish in life. Like I know that Triluna is a thing and will be a thing for a long time because we care and we show up every single day. I just wrote Liz this long message this morning, despite everything that she's been going through dealing with, with herself, she continues to show up even with me. I mean, it's been a lot of you know, trauma that's been brought up with all this race stuff. Me st telling stories that I haven't told since like ever, you know, that are coming up. But we continue to show up because we believe in this and we want to let the world know the difference between wellness and fitness, what it really means to be intentional about diversity and inclusion, especially inclusion, right? And so we'll just continue to fight and we'll continue to show up every damn day <laughs> it's amazing i mean yeah i'm so inspired uh elizabeth i don't know if i'm supposed to call you liz or elizabeth <laughs> well for our listeners i think it's important to know that all three white women present here are named elizabeth in one way or another <laughs> i think we might be the new karen hopefully not but anti-karen <laughs> <No. laughs> we'll be anti-karen Elizabeth is the new anti-Karen, everybody. <laughs> My gosh. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, yes, thank you for being open and vulnerable and continuing to share your story with your eating disorder or, or eating habits and, uh, and, and health hurdles that you've gone through. I mean, that's respectable. Again, you know, we can hold space for all of these together. I think some people feel overwhelmed. Like if I only, if I fight for this, well, then I don't have time to do this other thing. And I don't have emotional space to do this other thing. And Ashley, to your point, yes, everybody has a way that they're going to approach the, this thing. 
it doesn't mean that you have to spend 10 hours on social media on the one thing per day and let it ruin your other things. We can focus on uh, body positivity and inclusivity. We can focus on racial healing and relations. And um, we can focus on, I mean, Sarah is obviously in the birthing space. We can focus on um, wellness and birth. We can focus on children and schooling and what are we going to do in COVID in 2020? Like, I, I really think uh, y'all are showing that to people. Like you're showing, no, no, don't give an excuse of I want to sit in front of Netflix for two hours every night and just turn my brain off. You can do it. Y'all are living proof of it. Yeah. And you can also watch Netflix for two hours and turn your brain off when you need yes, to. Yes, you need to take the break. <laughs> I yeah. think um, the real lesson in all of that is that all of those are part of the same systemic issue. They're all part of white supremacy culture. Diet culture and body image issues, white supremacy culture. Race relations and the disparity between BIPOC and whites in, in America is a white supremacy issue. Like, if we deal with the issue of white supremacy, mm-hmm. all of the other issues benefit. Mm-hmm. Y'all and child trafficking, a white supremacy issue. Yes. Like don't, don't be pinning these causes against each other right. when a- absolutely every one of them are, 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 are stemmed and they're, they're seeping from our, our white supremacy culture. I saw some, someone in the wellness industry here in Nashville, I won't, I won't name any names recently post about how, uh, this the whole Jusane Maxwell or, or the child trafficking that's um, being exposed right now. And this person was like, well, where are all the Me Too women now? They're not talking about, and I'm, they're not talking about child trafficking. And I just immediately was like, that is white supremacy culture, patriarchal white supremacy culture, working so hard to undermine women in that moment. And it's, it's so unnecessary. Like, we are all fighting the same fight. If you are fighting for black women, you are fighting for children. You are fighting for white women. Like you are fighting to level the playing field. That's what it's all about. It's using your privilege and your access to help level the playing field wherever possible. Yes. Preach. This has been incredible. Thank you guys so much for being with us today and and just giving us such a wealth of knowledge and experience that you guys have and we're looking forward to finding ways to support you um tell us where all we can find you you've given us your website what's your what's your instagram handle it's triluna underscore wellness again it's t-r-i-l-u-n-a underscore wellness um most of everything is on instagram instagram is like our blog we do everything cool. on the cool. ground. Yeah. Um, uh, we have one of the newsletters on the internet that don't suck. So we don't send them very often, okay. but we work really yeah. on them. So you should definitely sign up for those. Awesome. Well, we are going to put all of that in our show notes for our listeners, but thank you very much for giving us your time for being here with us. And um, yeah, we're with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we thank you again for uh, inviting us on the show, creating this space Like we said, we could talk. I think we have new friends here. So thank you guys so very, very much um, for having us on and reaching out. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Y'all are awesome. All right. Thank you. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.
thank you all for listening to this episode. We really appreciate that you're still tuning in, listening to us. If you're loving what you're hearing, head over to iTunes and give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a review. Head on our Instagram, wild.healers, and tell us what you want to hear more about. Sarah and I are still going with the flow and figuring out how we're going to do the rest of 2020 during COVID. And we'd love to hear what you want to hear from us. We really will take your advice into consideration. For this special episode featuring Triluna Wellness, I also ask that if it's before election time that you're listening to this, that you head over to their Instagram. That's Triluna underscore wellness, T-R-I-L-U-N-A underscore wellness. Also, we'll link that in the show notes and snag one of their Be Well, Go Vote shirts. They have been suppressed from advertising this on social media very unfairly, and we want to support them through this as we obviously support the message of going and voting this year. So go show them some love and get some really awesome apparel that you can wear to the voting booth. Be well, everyone, and thank you for listening to Wild Healers. Recorded and mixed by Nathan Kalaski. Art and design by Sarah Gillum and Gabe Rosser. Theme song composed and performed by Jake Wesley Rogers. Thank you. You sing. Thank you for listening. You are why you're here.